0: Robert Unhear, here, one of the hosts of the All Black podcast. That podcast talks to some of the greats of the game, the characters, the players, the coaches, and hopes to give you an insight into our national game. Today we talk to Aaron Major, 46 matches for the All Blacks, 89 for the Crusaders and 50 for the Leicester Tigers. In the first half of the show we discuss life today down in Dunedin where he's living with his family, his thoughts on Super Rugby Aotearoa so far and being involved in the Moana-Pacifica game at the end of 2021. In the second half of the show we talked to Aaron about his playing and coaching career from a young kid growing up in Littleton, playing for the Crusaders and the All Blacks and we also talked to Aaron about the difference between playing and coaching in not just different super rugby clubs but also different hemispheres. Apologies for the line today, Aaron Zoom down in Dunners wasn't that sharp but please enjoy the pod, um, listen to us on iTunes, Spotify and anywhere you get your favourite podcasts.
1: Ha ha, yes boy, you've got to enjoy that. It's Mackenzie's face again. The the
0: Kuro team, welcome to the All Black podcast. Awesome guest today. Welcome to the show, as a major and as a, uh, you've got the sort of the planner up in the background there. You're looking, you know, reasonably formal. Where are you, mate? Where do we find you today?
1: Yeah, g'day Randy, uh, my pleasure to be on. I'm actually sitting in my office at John Glasson College at the moment, doing a little bit of uh, pastoral care and leadership development at the school and helping out the footy program down here. So it's a slightly quieter year for me this year after uh, a, a busy sort of schedule uh, pretty much through my whole adult life involved in professional rugby environments, uh, but really enjoying it down here. Uh, this, this is the schedule for uh, the footy season and this is the the roster for the the day, uh, for the week for the for the for the boys. So it helps me understand when they're in class, out of class, and uh also helps my own organization. So uh, that's the plan for this year. Really enjoyed it.
0: Mate, it's a sign of the times, isn't it, of sort of where rugby's at this a little bit um in schools to have someone like yourself in there. Um as a part of the program, but I've heard you say before, it's not just about the footy, but you really enjoy um, just helping young men grow, really, as someone like yourself came through a big footy school at Crossview Sports High School and, and onto a career in rugby, so you got a heat to share with them, no doubt.
1: Yeah, really enjoyed it, and I think, um, you know, like any any part of life, if you can help make a difference for for somebody, uh, especially some of our guys at school, they experience a lot of, lot of emotions, you know, they're, they're growing, uh, young, young teenage men, uh, they're having uh, issues. There's uh, the challenges of society these days. You have got cyberbullying. They're making rugby teams. They're missing out on rugby teams. They're performing well. They're, some guys aren't um, handling the workload at school well. So well, I think the the well-being and the holistic outlook on uh, how we help these guys grow and, and overcome these challenges at school is, is crucial. And really lucky. Uh, here at John McGlesh and that there's a there's a huge emphasis in that space around the well-being and making sure our guys are settled. Uh if they're not settled uh in themselves, then it's gonna be hard to excel in anywhere else in life. So uh, we try and catch these guys and, and look at what sort of support they need and then help them realize their potential and put some framework around how we're gonna um yeah, help help them get there.
0: Mate, it's awesome. And like uh you know, you're not from Dunas originally, you know, a each boy, and, and when you're finished up at the Highlanders, sometimes people leave the region, but you've obviously loved the place, you've stayed down there with the family, you're working at John McGlashan now, so Otago's taken a hold of you, has it?
1: Yeah, I'm a, a, a can tab through and through. I'm a Littleton boy, so really proud of my roots, um, but been really fortunate through my rugby career as a, as a player and a coach that rugby's taken us all around the world, uh, we've, we've laid roots over in Leicester as well and, and had a great time there as a, as a player and coach and, and got some, uh, some fantastic relationships over there with uh, some quality people. And over the last four years, we've been able to come and do that down in Dunedin. Uh, we love Dunedin, love the community. Um, it's been a, been a great place. Our kids are really settled. There are good schools and uh, it's a pretty, pretty cruisy place to live. So um, you're yeah, not in a rush at the moment to, uh, to go anywhere.
0: Mate, it's something you just touched on there is, you know, you know, from Littleton, um, you know, brought up in the Canterbury and Crusaders region, footy took you around the world, took you to Leicester, taking back to, to Dunners and that's got to really help you in um, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's your role at John McGlashan, whether it be future coaching, like that ability to communicate with different groups of people um, with different backgrounds, different cultures, different values, um, that's got to be a constant learning but a skill um, that you must have in spades with some of your experience surely.
1: Yeah, I think you only know what you know through your experiences so if you stay in one place too long then you um, can get a little bit narrow in your vision so travelling around the world and exposing yourself to different environments uh, creates the opportunity to, to broaden your perspective and certainly had that I remember um, back in 2007 leaving the Crusaders in, in, in New Zealand rugby right, and going to play in Leicester and, and Leicester were a really successful team and had been successful for about 5 or 6 7 years prior to that kind of in cuts and English premierships, and when I got there, it was just totally alien to me. I was saying, well, this is not the way that I'm, I'm used to doing it at the Crusaders or used to doing it with the All Blacks or Canterbury. And it took me a while to adapt to that, um, and I figured it out after three or four months that I, I was the one that needed to change. And, and when I when I figured that out, my, my game and my perspective on, on the game itself uh, really grew, and I thought it uh, helped me become a much more rounded player and probably play some of the best footy of my career, my second year at Leicester. So i did a half year first and then a full second year and, and um, retired after my, well, sort of during my third year. But that middle year was um, some of the most enjoyable footing. And I thought that I was playing probably a, more of a complete game over there at the time. So um, certainly learned a lot. And it was through that experience that I got to uh, understand a bit more about my own game.
0: Mate, you're, um, you know, you're obviously recently head coach at the Highlanders last year for the first round, you know, sort of under the pandemic or, or under COVID. Um, you've been keeping an eye on the comp this year. Is there, um, you know, any any teams in particular or players that have been really impressing you because it's such a, you know, it is such a local comp now. You know, there seems to be no week off, so to speak. You know, it feels like you're um, playing a quality side every week and, and then, you know, before you know it, you're into the next round and you're playing them again. Um you know, what have your thoughts of the comp so far this year?
1: Oh, it's quality. You, you know, watch those New Zealand teams play. And unfortunately, um, somebody's at the bottom of the table. At the yeah. moment, it's the Hurricanes and, they, and they're coping a lot of grief. They're not a bad footy team. Nah. And, and they're quality coaches um, they're a quality side. And, and they're a young team rebuilding as well. I think sometimes New Zealand public can be really harsh, you know, just because a team's sitting at the bottom of the table doesn't mean they've got a poor coach or a... Or an average side and they proved in the weekend against the crusaders who are, who are the top team nearly tipped them up um i thought it was great for the competition a few weeks ago uh highlanders tipping up the crusaders in the fashion they did it and a lot of those young guys that i've coached so i still followed highlanders very closely and got good mates coaching the side too so um it was good to see that i think it was good for the competition You know that the crusaders aren't invincible when there's um there's some opportunities to attack them and put them under pressure let just create a little bit of excitement as we go into these last few rounds. Uh, I think the Crusaders showed the weekend that consistently under pressure, um, they've still that little bit of a little you know cut above above the rest. So that'll be the challenge when the pressure really comes on those big games towards the end. Whether uh, whoever's playing them and in those in that final is good enough to, to win those big moments and come out on top. But uh, looking forward to these last few rounds.
0: And mate, you're you know you're a um, you know you're a, you're a players coach, and and um, any players out there um, that you've been really impressed with. Obviously, there's, there's some guys we know, and, and they continue to perform well. You know, sometimes the All Blacks take a little bit to wind into their season because they play a little bit longer, almost right. Particularly last year, right up until Christmas. Any uh, anyone been particularly impressive for your eyes?
1: In terms of players,
0: yeah, players, mate. Any players stuck out
1: for you? Uh, I thought you were talking about players that can coach um, just on that title uh, good to see him coaching for the Hurricanes he's a guy that I I coached uh, about 10 years ago and he's a guy that you knew straight away, was going to be an awesome coach so it's good to see him uh, having a crack there with with Jason Hall and that coaching staff Uh, players oh mate, they're always coming through New Zealand, I think those uh, for me, Shannon Frazell is a guy that's standing out at the moment for, for the Highlanders uh, it's been challenged around some parts of this game and, and looking really physical a lot more physically dominant this year um so he's he's kept his team on the front foot uh, he's been outstanding um i like the look of Bill jordan i think he's he's pretty classy at the back for the crusaders he pretty much rattled off that whole crusader back line eh? and there's guys on the bench too that um you got Reese, george bridge less to who couldn't even make the starting team last year and he's a guy that's probably capable of playing for the all blacks so uh, there's some real quality right across uh, New Zealand, so the All Blacks um, have got the, always had that luxury of, of picking a uh, quality squad.
0: Mate, you've um, you've coached in all sorts of different comps. You coached when you first started in Super Rugby. It was the old competition, I suppose, if we want to call it that, where you know it was a longer competition, more teams involved. You've coached in in Leicester, and I've heard a lot of New Zealand guys say it's the longest season in the world up there. Sometimes, um, you know, particularly with. The conditions but just the length of the season and then you've you're lucky enough to coach Super Rugby Aotearoa um mate how do you how do you take on um those different structured seasons because the one thing you look at here with the competition here in New Zealand at the moment it's so small you know and there's um there's no to your point you made just before um the bottom team played the top team on the weekend gone um, and it was decided in a golden point um it's an absolute sprint compared to in the past where it's it's been a marathon. How do you manage um, the boys? It feels like sometimes it's not as obvious to rotate people because you've got to get out there and get the wins because it's so short, or you just have to um, you have to trust the depth of your squad.
1: Yeah, depth of your squad's really critical, especially the intensity of these New Zealand uh, derbies. They're playing every week now. Yep. And I think having the, the two buys for each side over those, those eight games is critical as well. So you do get a, a natural chance to recharge in those buys. But two, three, three big games in a row certainly takes its toll. So um, yeah, it's tough. It's a bit of a challenge. It's definitely different over in the UK. You're preparing for a forty-game season. For some of those teams, including your pre-season games. So using your squad, periodising your um, your timetable through the year, looking at the three different competitions that you have got to play in. So the Anglo- Welsh, which I think is being canned at the moment, the the Premiership in England. Or the Pro 14, if you're playing in that Celtic League, and then the the European Cup. So looking at sort of what what competitions you want to target. Uh, for some clubs who are around middle of the table for uh, the Premiership, their their challenge is just to stay top six, so they get to play European top league uh, the the next year. So their focus a little bit different. If you're a an Exeter or a um, Bristol at the moment are going really well. They're looking at probably winning winning both competitions. So it just depends on quality of your squad, uh, what your priorities are through the year, and then what you think you can achieve, and then putting really good plans in place for the whole year. You can't really go uh, week to week and make stuff up on the run. You've got to have a good good plan on the, the whole outlook of the year and and uh, put some quality plans in place.
0: May I ask you a little bit too about being involved in two um, New Zealand super franchises with the Crusaders and the Highlanders and just the difference in perhaps culture, mentality, values at those franchises. I know um, while um, at the start of Super Rugby the Crusaders struggled but then you came into a time where they had a lot of success um, and then you were lucky enough to coach down at the Highlanders as well who perhaps um, from the outside always looked like a, a Super Rugby side that's got a chip on their shoulder, is always underrated and they really take... Pride and sort of upsetting the Apple card and beating teams they shouldn't and and bucking the trend. Like, um, how's it sort of being involved as a coach and two from the outside? What looks like completely different franchises?
1: Yeah, well, your environments and your organizations are all about your people. And I've been lucky enough uh, through my time at the Crusaders to be involved, play with, coached by, mentored by. Uh, some outstanding people that have had a massive influence on my life. So, people talk about culture a lot byproduct of the environment. The environment's made up of quality people. Uh, no different down here at the, the home, there's some real quality people right through the organisation. Uh, it's a lot leaner than a lot of organisations. So, uh, people probably get stretched a little bit more in terms of uh, not just doing one role, having to fill multiple tasks. So, that's always a challenge. Um, but it's, it's unique, it's tight, a bit more of a club feel down here because um, everything's so close. The boys are a, a pretty tight group. If I go back to my early days in the Crusaders, um, I look at the influence of guys like Todd Blackadder and Angus Gardner, uh, your Matt Sexton's, your Mark Hammett's, your Mark Mayer-Hoffler's, uh, your Tom all those guys had on, on me as a young guy coming through. And... Um, Probably wasn't always the way in, in red and black. Uh, I know went through some tough times in the, in the early 90s, but I think those guys really uh, reshaped the, the environment with how they looked after people, how they cared for people, and uh, that was also nurtured by some quality mentors and yeah, Steve Hansons, your Wayne Smiths, your Vance Stewarts, uh, your Robbie Deans, and those guys as well. And it was all around creating an environment where people could feel like they could express themselves and be at their best. Uh, you still knew. Exactly where you stood in the pecking order. Um, and that's always going to happen, but you never felt inhibited to express yourself. So from day one, I was always encouraged to go out there and be myself. And I know that those older guys had my back. And um I think that's why you and you and you still see that now, and you've seen it over the years with the Crusaders. Young guys can go in there and perform straight away. And I think it's the ability of the the older guys to to coach, and that's always been passed on. Uh, Andrew Murdens, Justin Marshall, Mark Mayhoffler. You know, they're only sort of five or six years older than me, but they were some of my best coaches and best mentors. Who didn't always teach me the right things, especially Marshall <laughs> off the field, but, uh, but we had a good time doing it. And that's, and that's footy, yeah. You, you play footy to uh, test yourself and get the best out of yourself, but also to have a good time. And I thought in those certainly in my years at the Crusaders, we got that balance right. And it was um, some of the best, best times of my life.
0: Mate, you're right, because it was when you came into when you started playing for the Crusaders, obviously you came into a, a fully professional area, but a lot of those boys had evolved through the amateur area and uh, come in at 96 when it turned professional. A lot of things I heard um, sort of growing up in Christchurch around Toddy as well was old school values, but he was also quite um, innovative and new age and some of the things um, that he was putting forth to the team, but also just the amount of times when um, whether it was Canterbury or whether the Crusaders were under a lot of pressure. Um, but you'd look to him and he'd always keep his nerve, he always had the right thing to say, he always um, gave the impression that the game was winnable no matter what the situation was, and that became, um, you know, for a period there, there were a number of games that Canterbury and the Crusaders won um, from behind because, you know, I heard a lot of players say you'd look to Toddy and he just always had the belief, it was, um, you know, it's, it sounds like it's easier said than done, but he obviously was very influential in setting up the culture or, or some of the, the values that the the Crusaders in those early years.
1: Yeah, definitely, mate. Certainly very inspirational uh, through his actions, what he did. Didn't always have to talk, Toddy, and he would never ask anybody to do anything that he wasn't prepared to do himself. Yeah. So a real man of integrity, a real loyal guy. And when you've got a guy like that leading and he's going and putting his body on the line and doing all those things that he that he's demanding of his team, um, that beats, builds real confidence and it builds real belief in a, in a squad. And we certainly have plenty of that, I think, Um yeah, and, and Toddy, I remember playing in a Shield game in 2001. It was Toddy's last year, actually, and we were under the pump. Uh, Wellington had beaten us at, at home, and I think we are down by some 20-odd points with about 15 minutes to go. And I was expecting a rack-up. Uh, Wellington had just scored against us, and he was just so clear with his messaging around where we were going to kick, what we were going to do from there, if we got the ball back, or whether we, you know, the, the ball was kicked back to us, uh, and then how we are going to build pressure. And accumulate points. So we just went straight into real process mode, not worried too much about the outcome. But it was his clarity of the message and his calmness in that situation. Uh, so you got a real, real calmness. And then we kick the ball off and bang, then he's ripping into it, forcing the turnover, and he's the guy leading the charge. We get the ball back, and um, the next 15 minutes was was awesome. It's probably the most memorable 15 minutes, or some of the most memorable minutes in my footy career. We scored three tries, and I don't know if you remember, Ben Blair. Run around Christian Cullen in the end, scored the try and, and kicked the goal to, it was a draw, so we would have retained the shield anyway. Uh, but then Ben Blair just rubbed it in and kicked the goal from the sidelines to, to take the victory. And for me, I was just in awe of Toddy after, like during that, watching him go about it and and just lead it through action, but also the calmness beforehand. And then afterwards, just appreciating the influence that he had on that game and the shield was still in Christchurch. That was a pretty special moment. I know a lot of Wellingtonians were under Steve Walsh Probably still haven't forgiven him for uh, some of the calls in that game, uh, but that's that's the game, eh? So um, certainly had a massive impact. Toddy left in 2001 at the end of the MPC, Canterbury won and the Crusaders went on to go him in the next year, 2002 and a lot of our performances had Todd Blackadder written all over it, so even though he wasn't in the team, Reuben Thorne had taken over as captain by then um, a pretty similar guy to, to Todd Blackadder, to be fair, Rooks uh, top man. A lot of those, those values and the leadership and the lessons we learned from guys like Toddy were were all over that 2002 campaign. I think we won about five or six games, by well, less than three or four points. It was remarkable. A lot of them were in the last few minutes, but it was that never-say-die attitude, always in the fight and always believe that you can come out on top. So um, certainly had a massive influence on on Crusader rugby, Toddy, and, and Canterbury rugby. And... Uh, you see that in, in, in Crusader teams now, eh? they,
0: it's, it's certainly there. And as well as at the end of last year, you were lucky to be involved in the Pacifica game. Um, and we've got so many players of Pacifica heritage that um, play in New Zealand. Well, not just New Zealand, actually Australia and around the world. Must have been awesome to be involved in that fixture and, and maybe something we'll see a little bit more of in the future. Who knows?
1: Oh, yeah, mate. It was a great experience. I think it was great recognition for... All the work that you know our Pacific communities put into New Zealand rugby and all that rugby, uh, and it was great to be able to play that game in, in New Zealand and connect it with the uh, New Zealand Māori as well, uh, who obviously descendants of uh, the Pacific people. So, um, it was a fantastic week. I learned a lot. It was good for me to go and research back into my own uh, cultural um, ancestral roots, which is good, which go back to uh, Rarotonga, the Cook Islands, and Tahiti through my grandmother. Uh, there's a little bit of salmon there too, so um, didn't get much of the colour, but uh, that was more <laughs> through my, my father's my father's side, uh, but really proud of my Pacific heritage, and it was really special to be involved in that week. Uh, some quality footy players there, it was a great spectacle as well, so um, hopefully uh, there's, there's a place for a Pacific team in, in Super Rugby. I know there's a lot of um, water to go under the bridge before those things get signed off, but Certainly see them if we get the infrastructure right, being competitive in that space and um, being a great addition to Super Rugby.
0: Awesome, awesome, mate! Great uh, first half of the show. We'll take a very quick break and then we'll come back and in, uh, in the second part of the show talk the life and times of Aaron Major. Oh, absolutely outstanding! Seventy or so meters from a set
1: piece scrum, the chop from Carter Major made that def- made the smash up the middle, and it was Jones who fell off the tackle. You know, for yourself as a,
0: where did it all start, mate? Was it Littleton? Was that uh, was that where a young Aaron Major forged his his rugby career? Kicked a few, kicked a few goals down at the local park. Uh, taking into account the uh, the Port Breeze.
1: Yeah, that Littleton's where it all started, mate. I was uh, born in Christchurch, but grew up in Littleton. Uh, didn't get through the tunnel uh, too often as a young fella. Family, uh,
0: yeah,
1: pretty pretty much stuck in the Littleton hood. But um, really proud of, of my mucking in there. Um, all my family, sort of born and raised over that way. Um, mm-hmm. Some great mates over there. Spent a lot of time out the local grass with a cocktail, um, dodging the, the rose bushes. So if you didn't quite get it right, you end up getting tackled into the rose bushes, come out with a few thorns on the side of your, your leg. Uh, obviously grew up with my, my brother, Nate. so uh, we'd spend a lot of time. Um, he'd dub me on his old 10-speed, actually, get around to the old Littleton uh, recreation ground. The Rick as it's known, or the Sacred Acre and uh, spent a lot of time around there. We actually go, bike around to one of the beaches and get a, um, we used to take the bread bags and, and fill the bread bags up with sand so we could take the sand back and practice our goal cooking. This is in the days before kicking tees. So it's starting to sound a little bit old now, but although um, oh, were great childhood memories. Uh, on the way back from a kick, we'd stop off at the wharf and have a fish or try and spare some fish in the dry dock. and uh, That was life growing up in Littleton. Um, we were pretty, uh, used to roam, uh, had a lot, of, a lot of freedom there. But a great community and we're well looked after so um yeah and, and a great little rugby club as well still guard in division two uh the littleton boys um yeah not not quite strong enough to have a, a prem one team in, in christchurch at the moment but still represented at p2 and there's a golden oldies team too mate so if you're ever in town and you want to have a run down in, in, in christchurch is a place to be yeah still
0: active <laughs> as a so yeah i'll be i'm definitely keen for that um but also, you know, you did have, you're brought up in a rugby-playing family, um, you know, Uncle Uncle Stephen Graham, um, both international players. Um, did that create a little bit of pressure or actually it was an environment that just let you thrive and, and let you do your thing and obviously you had your brother there. I'm sure you had, you know, countless games of one-on-one um, down at the park. Um, what was the environment like for, for a young fellow who did have a couple of really well-known uncles? Oh, I
1: certainly didn't feel pressure. I thought it was um, those guys just showed the way, showed that anything's possible, even coming from a small town. Uh, we didn't really grow up with, with too much as a family in terms of material things, but we had everything we needed in terms of all the love and support and, and great mentors. My grandmother was a big part of that, uh, which is um, Stephen and Graham's mum. My mum was the second born, uh, one of seven, and Graham and Stephen were at the, sort of, at the younger end, so they were more like big cousins for us uh, growing up. Um, often would take us out and then throw the ball around and Grim showed me how to pass actually so uh, <laughs> I still remember some of the drills he was doing there when I was about eight or nine years old um, so pretty special times really lucky to have been in our family um, but as I say it was, it was the whole family that really supported us and my parents uh, dropped us through to, to rugby games drive us through the tunnel and um, had three boys We've got an older brother as well uh, so we had to get three boys around um, Christchurch on Saturday mornings. so You know, without their support, uh, none of it would have been um, available to us, I suppose. So, yeah, pretty grateful to all those special people that helped provide a platform for us.
0: And, mate, when you are a big fella, like you say, making your way from Littleton through the tunnel to Christchurch Boys High School when you ended up was, you know, it was a pretty massive change of scenery for a young fella. Was that always on the cards, wanting to get to, um, you know, a bigger spot um, for the footy or or for, um, you know, just for schooling as well? Like, was... Was that always there? Because there were there were schools that were closer.
1: Oh mate, I didn't want to go to Christchurch Boys High School. Didn't <laughs> want be part of it. Um, Nathan, Nathan, my, Nathan, my brother got uh, he got accepted out of the, in the ballot uh, a couple of years earlier. Yeah, and he went through, and I think Mum and Dad could see the influence it was having on him and the opportunities it was creating through the coaching. And I was pretty settled on Limwood, um, Limwood High School at the time. Uh, that's where a lot of my mates were going. I, and we're not Catholic, we're not a Catholic family, but a lot of my mates were going to um, Cathedral College, so I was trying to get mum to convert me into uh, to be a Catholic and, and go there with my mates, and that was life for me. I wanted to be with my with my little buddies. They were going just through the tunnel, so I couldn't quite understand why I had to go all the way on the other side of town. I had to get two buses in the morning up to 7.22, so that was, that was a bit of a drag. The funny thing is, I was... Um, so mum went out, she dug her toes in, as, as she should, as a parent, yep. and um, ended up going to Christchurch Boys High School. And uh, they brainwashed me in three days, and I loved it. Uh, the first three days, peer support, had awesome mentors. Um, had a guy called Mel Arnold, who actually went oh, on yeah, to play some, some rugby, was in, in amongst that group. Scotty Hanson is another a Littleton man, too. Uh, was at school at the time and just seeing the, the environment, the culture, the school huckers, singing school songs um I was in after three days, signed me up for life, really enjoyed it, and that flowed right through We used at Boys High School. Had some awesome coaches, some great teachers, not just around curriculum or the game, but more mentors in life, um, so uh, I was pretty fortunate enough to spend five good years uh, there, played a bit of footy, played a bit of cricket alongside your good self there, Rob, and um, getting uh, pretty special memories of uh, the school. Got a 25-year reunion this year. Uh with the uh, first thing, which we lost the Christ College uh, that day. <laughs> um, I'm not looking forward to the Christ College, boy to run it in when we go yeah. back to this reunion. But, um, a lot of mate, you know, good mates and, and, and that side as well. And that's what the game's all about. Uh, get to go and celebrate, tell some, tell some of those stories, mate. They're probably getting a little bit stale, but never grow old when you're all, all together, telling them together. So, nah. Yeah,
0: no, nah, that's right, mate. And this, we, there's no new stories, so you've got to sort of repurpose the old ones. But, I mean, those are. Your school days are your mates of your life, aren't they? And and you mentioned there you pulled out of cricket in in uh form, I think, to focus on rugby. We could have won the Gillette Cup Finals, mate, if you had um if you'd come out with that short back lift, you know, you're good at putting it over mid wicket. Um, looking back, any regrets, mate, you could have taken us to the finals. No, I don't I don't think I was technically good
1: enough <laughs> I remember spending a lot of time in the nets with guys uh, like Justin Boyle and, and <laughs> Lindsay Thorne, right. who are two two great coaches. Uh, trying to refine my game a little bit. I don't think the the softball slash baseball setup was, was a great look for a first team cricketer, um, but it managed to get the job done on, on occasion. But um, uh, rugby was my, my passion. Uh, I still I still enjoy cricket. Still try and have a game when I can. Uh, but yeah, just keeps you uglier and uglier to be fair around it. Certainly not coming out of the middle of the bat these days, <laughs>
0: <laughs> mate. But it wasn't long before you um. You know, you made your way into, into rep forty. Talk to us about um, your early days, or even some of your first games for Canterbury. Um, you know, you're a young fella. I think you're 18 or 19 when you started um, being in that environment. Was it was it nervous times, or or to what you spoke about in the first part of the show? Was the the senior players really really good at creating an environment for a, for a young fella just to tear into it? Because um, you know, I think you are probably 19 or so, weren't you, when you started um, being involved with Canterbury?
1: Yeah, I was 18 when I debuted for Canterbury. Yeah, certainly nervous because you're going from schoolboy rugby the year before, uh, even though I was lucky enough to play a little bit of rep footy as well. Uh, then you're playing with these guys that you idolise, you know. Your top Blackhanders and your Andrew Burns and all these guys, it's uh, be pretty daunting. Um, but yeah, that was offset by, as I spoke about before, just support those guys put around you and encourage you to go out and play a game. Understand your young guy's going to make mistakes. Yeah, um, so really supportive and was able to go out and, and and go okay. It probably took me a couple of years to figure the game out, to be fair, uh, at that level. because uh, There's so much information coming in, you're learning so much on the run, but um, I probably got there um, quickly enough based on all that support I had around me.
0: Yeah, mate, was it, um, you know, you were, you're a look you're, as a younger fellow was it always 12 that you always as soon as you started playing for Canterbury and the Crusaders were you always in at 12 or was 10 an option or um, you know once you got into that professional environment that's where you're going to be I
1: was actually first named as a 10 uh, that could cover 12 I think a few of my first caps for the Crusaders was sort of fullback and on the wing and <laughs> Robbie said Robbie said to me he goes after the first game I think I went on fullback and then the next one I'm playing the wing and then he drags me aside after a couple of weeks, and obviously Mertz was the number ten at the time, so I wasn't going to get much of a crap there. And we had Daryl Gibson and Mark Mayo Hoffler, yeah, who were yeah. two All Black twelves uh, playing at twelve, so she was pretty loaded up. And um, remember Robbie saying to me, "Odd, oh, you know, you've had your field, you feel comfortable playing on the wing or at fullback?" And I said, "Mate, you chuck me on anywhere, anywhere apart from the front row, and I'm happy to <laughs> give a cap." I was Canterbury boy, born and bred, and for me to be playing at that level with those guys was was a dream come true, and. Um, yeah, and then I started to figure out that I needed to, to compete with these guys to, you know, to try and uh, knock them over. So I was trying to trying to figure out where that was going to be. Um, Mark Mayhoff Mayofflechey left in two thousand and one, and Daryl Gibson got a bad injury in the MPC in in two thousand and one, and Steve Hanson was coaching that side. I asked me if I felt comfortable to play twelve. Um, I was happy to play. There. I played a bit of. Uh, age group footy there for the New Zealand 19s and 21s and that so I was comfortable to play They had a crack and we hit a bit of a golden patch or purple patch I think it is um, for Canterbury and we ended up winning that NPC. When um, we only lost one game to North Harbour um, and managed to play quite well, I was playing inside my brother Nathan as well so it was the first sort of extended at that level and, and our game just clicked. It was, I was pretty, I was lucky, I suppose, I was I was in a really good team at the, at the time, and went on to make the All Blacks at the end of the year, and it was probably the byproduct of being in a, in a very, very good squad that was successful at the time, so, um, you're yeah, fortunate enough to uh, to play 12 through that campaign, make the All Blacks in the 12, and then I pretty much stayed there. I was a bit of a poor man's 10, to be fair, around here. so, <laughs> every now and then, I was, I was asked to go there and, and, and try and hack the ball off my shins, but, yeah, uh, no, I, um, I enjoyed playing 10 as well. I enjoyed that, but we had so many quality 10s. Then a young guy called Dan Carter come through a couple of years later and there um, yeah, wasn't much chance of uh, playing that 10 jersey after he grabbed it.
0: But I mean, um, when you did settle at twelve, and like you say, with Mertz at ten, um, it must have been an awesome learning opportunity. To, you know, the guy you might have had to make a couple of tackles for him, but in terms of a rugby brain, you don't get much better um, than playing outside that guy. And and probably as a young fella trying to feel comfortable being between him and your brother, um, has got to be as good a start as as any young footy player can have. Really, um, as you say, in a team that was experiencing some success as well, was Mertz as as influential as he looked as you know when you were watching as a supporter.
1: Absolute legend, mate, and quality man, and really giving with his time. So, um, he couldn't have been any more generous for a young guy coming in, pestering him with all these questions around what do you do here, what does this look like, and what would you do in this situation? And then just playing outside of him, you know, how intuitive he was, the things that he saw, and the ability to make really fast decisions uh, based on pictures. And so, a lot of my understanding of space and that come from playing outside of him, he was just uh, a couple of steps ahead of everybody. And he made me look good. Uh, made the All Blacks outside him debut outside him and that was, uh, yeah, locked down to, I think a lot of my early career, certainly the success I had was uh, influenced by playing outside such a quality, quality footy player and a good man.
0: Mate, and fast forward to that, you, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was only really a couple of years after you were in high school that you were able to turn out and make your debut for the All Blacks. Probably um, for you as well, making against Ireland um, in Dublin is probably quite special for you. Talk us through that experience, which came around pretty quickly, really, and managed to debut in the same matches as Richie McCaw as well.
1: Oh, it's any young New Zealand boy's dream, isn't it? Especially especially back then, growing up in a rugby family, uh, watching uncles do it. Um, wasn't too many All Black games that i ever missed, I don't even know if I missed one from the time I was about four years old. I <laughs> uh, even used to get up or three o'clock in the morning and watch the yeah, games overseas as, as a young fella. Um, so for them to be there myself as it, part of the experience was was pretty special. I actually played in Ireland four years earlier, so the last time the All Blacks played um, against Ireland in 97, I think Marshall was the captain that game. Uh, I was on the back at Lansdowne Road. So um, yeah, four years later, I'm on back Lansdowne Road, and the All Black bus turns up to Lansdown Road, and I've got all my buddies from the club, the Sotonians Club. so shout out to those boys. I was about 15. And I'm lined up in the Sotonians jersey with number 12 and major on the back. So I'm fed up from a All Black debut, and I'm trying to keep my emotions in the check. Yeah, you, you think about all the people that have helped get you there, you know, so it's emotional anyway. And then these guys rock up,
0: yeah,
1: um, and it hit me. It hit me because All Black bus. There's a connection with my people over in Ireland. And it was a pretty special moment. And then uh, just before I was about to cry, they turned around, they're all drinking uh, pints, and they scalded pints, and that made me laugh. So I managed to balance out my emotions. And I was able to go out and then focus on the job. So a uh, really special time, mate, wearing that jersey. Uh, actually, about 30 minutes into the game, we are down what, about 15 points. I thought we are going to lose. And I thought i might be one of those one-test wonders. Yeah, so we, we were down uh, about 15 points. With uh, about 30 minutes into the game, and I was thinking, geez, I'm going to be one of those one-test wonders here. I'm to, we're all going to get dropped after this, and that'll be it." But luckily, uh, Jonah hit his straps and uh, scored. A, I think he scored a couple of tries for us, and and uh, Tunnel was on fire as well in that second half. We managed to get through, uh, to have the win, got presented with my first cap, and celebrate the night. And uh, it was was a yeah, very memorable moment.
0: Mate, it's awesome, and you um, you know, pretty much from. Yeah. From that point on to around 2006, 2007, you know, you're a regular um, in the 12 jersey. Got to play alongside Tana, who, um, you know, as was mentioned earlier, um, coached the Pacifica side with at the end of the year. It's has got to be pretty special, eh? Because he's one of the titans of our game, and, and um, you know, to be able to play X amount of tests alongside him must have been awesome for what was a, a 20-year-old guy at the time.
1: Yeah, mate, he's another guy. Um, Clicked with straight away. I think we complement each other's game pretty well, and um, you know, straight away on that, that tour, I thought I was going to carry some brick bottles, to be fair, and, <laughs> and, and clean some boots for some of the older guys, and uh, I didn't realise I was going to be starting in the test, uh, Pedro Latini wasn't at the time, and he was yeah. playing some amazing footy, so uh, the coaches just, just saw that I was going to be um, that twelve for the tour, so I was pretty shocked when I got picked. And Tunner was awesome straight away and started a really good relationship that we had for um, about another four or five years before Tunner retired and, and cherished those moments playing against, playing alongside uh, such a legend of our game.
0: Mate, and you I know you went along to the, you're lucky to go to the 2003 and 2007 World Cup and talk a little bit about that in a minute. But one thing I want to focus on was um, the 2005 Lions series because... That was the first time I've really experienced rugby at scale. You know, I'd, I'd been lucky enough to be to a couple of games in the Northern Hemisphere and, and saw what a big crowd and what noise they could make up there, but it wasn't just the stadiums and the games, it was the travelling army, it was, it was rugby at scale, wasn't it? it was, for you as a player, um, was it hard to focus on the matches with so much going on or actually it was just awesome it, it motivated you um, to be part of something so significant that only really comes around for a player once?
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome, mate, eh, to be involved in that Lions series. I just remember um, when the Lions rolled into town, just the, just the amount of red jerseys you see around town and, and the noise they are making at the games. Um, for me, I was, in a, I was in a fight for my jersey at the time. Uh, young Martin and Conrad Smiths, and these guys were coming along. The young Dan Carter was playing uh, then as well as a 12 before then. He just sort of converted to 10 at the end of the tour in 2004. So I was more focused on just trying to win a spot in the team, to be fair. So I wasn't worried about too much of those distractions. <laughs> um, but when you played the game and the roar and the singing and all that sort of stuff was was pretty cool. We don't sing in New Zealand, though, no, in games. No. We're, we're pretty reserved, I think, because we've got 5 million coaches in the country <laughs> and you're busy analysing the game. Uh, whereas over in the UK, uh, it's a real social event. They go, they have a few pints, they'll have dinner beforehand or lunch, and then they'll go and... They were swimming because they got a little bit Dutch courage in them, and it's um, it's a real occasion for them. So totally different mentality around their supporters over there. So I thought they they brought a great flavour to, to New Zealand in that two thousand and five, and it, and it added to the spectacle. Um, yeah, we had a pretty dominant side. Eh? It was a pretty good series. So uh, they probably weren't at their best, and we performed pretty well. So it was nice to come out on the right side of the ledger in that in that series.
0: Absolutely, and there's um. Uh, one thing I want to touch on with the World Cups, because I've heard you speak about it this a little bit before, is just just the difference. Almost in two thousand and three, a little bit underprepared and, and maybe hadn't been um, under a heap of pressure after having a really successful two thousand and three leading up, and then two thousand and seven almost going the other way and being a little bit overprepared and, and um, having a big conditioning window and not playing as much footy as perhaps you had in the past, and and just the ability to get that balance right. Um, you know, it was obviously almost all culminated in. In 2011 15, the learnings of all those years, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, bang on, 2003. Like we were a team on fire through the Shrine Nations. We had a lot of young guys playing uh, their first years in the All Blacks, and we, had, we weren't really challenged at all through that year. So we're probably um, under false pretence going to that World Cup and hadn't really prepared as well as what we could have for big knockout games, being under more pressure, being behind in games. And it showed. Oh, when we played Australia. We just didn't have uh, the tools that we needed to to bounce back from a. Uh, they started really well, um, and they just they outplayed us. They outsmarted us through that game. Uh, so that was a, that was a massive learning. Uh, I was only a young guy at the time too. I was twenty three, so I was still figuring out what leadership looked like on the field and how you can influence and how you can swing momentum. We had a lot of us there in that situation. And a lot of young players who are playing their first year for the All Blacks too. So um, I think that's what happened. In the next few World Cups, is more experienced squads going away. And like you say, combined in 2011 and 15, old older teams, more mature teams who were um, maybe, maybe under pressure for their positions, but the coaches could count on those, those guys to be in the big moments, execute their roles in big moments, uh, which was which is the key. Uh, it's really quality leadership. 2007, um, some awesome people involved in that campaign. It was gutting. It was really gutting. Uh, we we did so much work going into it and like you say, we, we probably potentially over-prepared and maybe it wasn't as uh, enjoyable the journey I suppose along the way to get there and I think what happened from there really brave decision from the NZAU to, to keep the coaching team on. Quality coaches and I think was absolutely the right call. even though I'm a big fan of Robbie Dean's um, who was going for that spot too. I think it was the right call, and that definitely set up uh, 11 and 15. Um, and those guys learned from it's, so, you know, the rest is history. A couple of World Cups in the bag, and uh, time for
0: another one in a couple of years, hopefully. Absolutely, mate. And you you made a big call at the end of the 2007 World Cup to move away from New Zealand, take your, your skills um, offshore. What drove that decision, was it? Because um, you're a pretty young lad Was it you could get home or, or you just wanted Wanted to change your scenery After being Even though you're young You'd been a professional rugby player For for not far off a decade
1: Yeah just a change up um, I love my time And really content With that decision People ask me I was, I was on 89 Crusader games and yep. Close to 50 All Black tests Never really driven by milestones and numbers More for me Every, every game was a privilege To be involved with You know the teams That I love playing for um, just felt that time we had two young kids, uh, we, my wife and I were both 27, uh, Amy, and we were keen just to go and travel, see a part of the world. Like Rugby is, um, you're in rugby 12 months a year these days, it's, it's pretty hard to get away from it, so we'd had a massive period leading up to the World Cup, uh, really grateful for the opportunity, I had to grow as a, as a leader, a lot of work on, on that space, but it's pretty full on. and. Me, I just felt like I needed a need for change of change of scenery and uh, loved my time over in the UK. Loved my time uh, playing over at Leicester. Uh, got the balance right, trembling as a family, and some opportunities we wouldn't have otherwise. So, um, yeah, no regrets.
0: Mate, talk to us about that because, I mean, it's a club with a huge history. You know, they've been massively successful, particularly when you look back some of the names like Martin Johnson and Lewis Moody and Neil Back and, you know, all absolute legends of the Leicester club. Huge success, won the premiership, um, you know, won the. Heineken Cup I think it was called at the time you know and also just like you said earlier um, in the show 40 game season multiple competitions you're playing in different conditions um, you know was it tough was it tough to adjust to something was significantly different to what you had done for for eight or nine years
1: it was tough it was different but we had a whole lot of tough buggers that were used to be playing in a tough competition so um, but they, they taught me a lot The competition taught me a lot, the people taught me a lot, as I talked about before, and I learned a lot about my game and and where I needed to evolve to become a bit more of a rounder player. Certainly got a lot more physical over there. Um, In New Zealand, I was used to probably touching the ball 30, 40 times a game as a a second playmaker. I think my first uh, European Cup game over there, I touched the ball three times in 60 minutes (laughs) and got a deep leg, trying to make a tackle. And, and then I went off after 60 minutes and it was a cold wet night. We won eight seven again. So <laughs> that took a bit of a, a, a adjusting to. Um but yeah, good 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 stock A, eh? just successful in a different way. And that's um probably the lesson for, for a lot of people going on board and expect to have that experience. That's what you get. You learn how to to be successful and do things in a different way, um, which is which is good.
0: And mate, it's um you know, you come from you know um, Canterbury Crusaders region. Love love our rugby down in there that area, and we love our rugby in New Zealand. And sometimes there's a perception that it's the be all and end all here in New Zealand, and we do love it. But some of those towns in the UK and in France, um, Leicester, Northampton, um, you know, Exeter, like you spoke to, some of the big clubs in France, they love it, don't they? It's it's almost another level, and and it's 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 almost like club rugby in New Zealand professionalised. It's almost like high school old boys or Littleton professionalised. There's that sort of attachment to your club. You know, there's working-class people buying season passes to get down there um, and watch every single game that Leicester play.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. It's real tribalism over there, ain't it? Yeah. They, they're into it. and They live and breathe it. They're um, the, the social sort of media aspect of all the social groups are related they have travelling parties that travel away they'll charter planes to, to come and watch you play in, uh, against Treviso in, in Italy you know um, so it's, it's a it's a culture it's a way of life for a lot of those fans and they certainly make it really special Welford Road is one of the best places you can you can ever play footy at I used to love running out of that place I was lucky enough to play three years there and um, could be goosebumps hey, running out of the field mm-hmm. Yeah. you you got people there spilling their pints on you or their jugs. Uh take these plastic jugs along; they can drink out of those with two litre ones. Um, so they're spilling that on you as they pat you on the back <laughs> as you running down the tunnel. Um, it's a pretty unique place, but awesome, awesome supporters. And like you say, mate, that's not just Leicester; that's uh, so many clubs living across uh, across the UK and Europe.
0: Mate, best times there as a player? Can you remember anything that sticks out? Because there's some big events um, when you play there. Like, I mean, every Saturday's a big event at, at Welford Road and the crowd's right on top of you, spilling beer on you by the sounds of it. But there's um also you get to play in, in multiple competitions, which is was maybe refreshing as well. You know, you get to change it up. You probably need to in the case of a 40-game a season. Yeah, probably the friendships for me, sort
1: stood of. out. Yep. Not just with the, the 40 guys. Um, you know, made some great mates there, Jordan Murphy, become a, a good mate of mine, uh, played and coached with Jordy, got into a little bit of mischief with Jordy as well, um, but, but top fella, and probably, yeah, like you say, mate, we, we were lucky enough to win a couple of, um, every year I was there we played in the final, an English Premiership final, uh, we won the, the second two against Irish and uh, Saracens. Uh, unfortunately, which happened a bit towards the back end of my career, I was injured for both of those, so I didn't actually get out on the field. Uh, played in the first one that we lost, so um, maybe just as well that it wasn't in, the, in those last couple. <laughs> but um, we, we played in some big games, like going through European semis. We played in the, the kickoff game against Cardiff, oh, yeah. uh, down at Cardiff. We went to a penalty shootout, which was a terrible way to decide a game.
0: You bang one, didn't you?
1: Um, yeah, managed to slot one over, mate, with a half crooked leg. Uh, <laughs> But it was yeah, that, that was a big occasion. It was, it was a funny one, and then we went through the Heineken Cup final. Uh, Didn't quite win that; Leinster the one that it was young, young Johnny Sexton playing about his fourth game for Leinster. He's still going now, which wow. is pretty incredible. Um, he was the star of the show that day, coming as a as a replacement. Um, so yeah, all those moments make pretty pretty special. Um,
0: yeah, and mate, talks too. You know, unfortunately, you know, it was it. Was it the back or that the body gave up on your end and forced your hand in terms of the playing side of things?
1: Yeah, it was the back. So I was having a lot of lot of issues, um, a lot of secondary issues where I couldn't feel my feet and uh, I was getting a lot of hamstring issues and quad issues and had all sorts of treatment um, over there and sort of wore me down that last year. It was was pretty tough going. So at the end of that year, I decided to, to pull the pin uh, which is never easy when, uh, when that part of your life comes to an end. But um, I was really grateful for what I what I was able to achieve and the experience that I was able to have. So uh, that made the blow a little bit easier. And like anything in life, eh, you just got to focus forward and, and carry on to whatever's in front of you. So can't waste too much time looking back. And managed to get my head around it pretty quick. We decided to come home as a family and, and settle back in Christchurch. Yeah, began the the next
0: uh, chapter in life. Mate, looking back in your time up there, you know, we're always, you know, dare I say sometimes a little bit snobby about our rugby down in in New Zealand, but were there some players who who stuck out for you, who really impressed you, whether it be, you know, someone that you had to mark um, as an opposition or just the players that were really influential and you thought, shit, they'd they'd, they'd crack it in super footy or they're just just top quality footy players?
1: Yeah, different, eh? all depends on your your style and how you want to play. Like We we had a massive pack so yeah. watching guys like Ben Kay and Martin Corrie and Lewis Moody and George Shooter and all well, that just hurled <laughs> themselves into uh, the opposition with no real technique, or no mentality <laughs> and attitude. I um, just had so much respect for those guys and the fact that they were still walking at the end of the yeah. game yeah. Uh, was just amazing. And that was the mentality, that was less the mentality, just so tough. And would never take a backward step, always on the front foot. And that was why Leicester teams are so dominant through that period. Um, So, those guys certainly have my admiration, probably not the most um, skillful or or talented uh, footy players, but man, they had a mentality that just nothing was going to get in their way and and went and bulldozed everything in front of them. (laughs) Uh, And they were were, were great to play with, inspiring guys. Uh, Jordan Murphy played a lot with Jordy, fullback for Leicester, played. 80 odd cats for, for Ireland, probably one of the most skillful footy players I come across. I wouldn't have known that unless I played with them. You yeah. see him play for Ireland and you unless you're analysing them before a game, you, you wouldn't see um too much of that. But man, what a what a skillful guy, Gaelic football player as well. He's flicking balls up and you know, just some of the stuff that he would do is um it yeah, just amazed me. Really skillful guy. So really enjoy playing with him. Uh, played against Brian O'Driscoll quite a bit oh, over yeah. there. Uh, outstanding awesome. footy player, so big, big name. But when you're playing these guys more consistently, you, you appreciate you know how good they are because in one game you probably don't get everything that they've yeah. got. But when you play them multiple times, you see them uh, more often. You you learn to have a bit more of an appreciation. So you're right, mate. We probably don't understand how good the, the European players are. The guys up in the UK because um, we don't see them as much. So you always think the All Black and the Australian players are better, but there's some quality out there. You look at those guys coming through now, like Murray Toji and your Pollers and your Courtney Laws and your um, Elliot Daly's and those yeah. guys, they are every bit as good as, as our boys, if not been yeah. in lot of those positions.
0: Absolutely, mate. We could almost do a whole nother podcast on your coaching career, but I just want to touch on it a yeah. little bit to sort of finish up this one. Was it, Did you always have an eye to coaching? Um, Because I know you came back and and straight away you got back into the grassroots and and did a season with high school old boys, which was awesome. Was that, you know, as you were finishing up your career, um, did you always have an eye to it? Because you were someone who, you know, you'd think maybe you'd take to coaching really well. You You weren't the biggest 12, but you're a great communicator, very skillful. you know, someone who had a lot of vision, which may lend itself to coaching. Was it always the plan?
1: Uh, not really, probably a bit more apparent um, in my last couple of years when I was over in the UK. Did a couple of um, coaching courses over there. Uh, I was probably always coaching my whole career, on-field on sort of coaches as, as a player, uh, and that was encouraged and I was empowered by guys like Robbie and, and Wayne Smith to do that. So I lot of to those guys. I just looked at the influence they were able to have on people's lives, not just as becoming better footy players, but also um, for me, they were great mentors in, in life. Um, Steve Hansen was another one and rugby was nearly a secondary thing eh it was actually just about looking after people and helping them realise their potential and, and then putting some framework in place to help them achieve their achieve their dreams and their goals so uh, that's why I get involved mate I love it doesn't really matter what level it's at uh, I get just as much joy out of coaching number 6 and under 7 kids when they learn how to make their first tackle um, being fortunate enough to to do it in a professional environment um, doing what I love so um, I cherish that mate there's still, still got plenty more to give so yeah um, see how this year unfolds I'm really looking forward to working with these these boys down at Johnny's in the first 15. thing and uh, we'll make some calls for there where, where,
0: where we go next mate like, the point you made a number of times throughout the chat is like it's been pretty full on whether it be playing or, or whether it be coaching you almost jumped straight into coaching as soon as you finished playing when you got back into New Zealand are you enjoying the break or enjoying the change of scenery i, I I have no doubt you're doing a heap of work down there and you're still really busy, um, you know, big family as well. But are you enjoying the change of scenery and, and being a little bit out of the limelight and that week-in, week-out pressure of of what Super Rugby Aotearoa or any of the jobs that you've had over the last five or six years brings?
1: Yeah, I am, mate. Uh, yeah. So this year, the focus really was on um, spending more time with the family. So kids have often grown up with dad, missing big events and the weekends and all those things. At the moment, I'm here for all those things, and I'm here for my kids as they're going through, especially my teenagers, going through uh, teenage challenges and, and those parts of life and all the excitement that comes with it as well. Um, so it's nice to be around and, and be able to guide them a bit more too. So I think my wife's enjoying having me around. I mm-hmm. uh, might have to ask her for the for the real answer on that one, but uh, as a family mate, it's, it's been gold. So I've really enjoyed the year, it's been a great chance to, to recharge and um yeah, just, just take stock of
0: where things are at. And, mate, because, you know, the it's it's hard to believe, actually, um, that you're only, what, 39, 40 years old. Um, you've already um, played so much and coached so much. Um, you've probably got probably your best coaching years and you are in front of you most, most probably. Do you hope to get um, back into another role at some stage in the future, you know, once you've had a year down there with, with Johnny's? Oh,
1: I'd say so, Randy. I uh, feel like I've got plenty, plenty of offer. Um, I enjoy the game. A bit of a rugby geek, to be fair, mm. around the around the game itself. Um, so, yep, still still following it closely and, and looking at the trends and you know how how I would potentially do things in terms of strategy and, and focusing on skills sets out on the grass. So, um, I'm rugby minded. Uh, that's the way. That's the way I roll. Um, yes, yeah, so I'd say I'll pop up somewhere, mate, the next week while.
0: Awesome, As it? A- won't keep you no longer. Thank you so much for your time. I know you are um, you got plenty on down there, but I appreciate you um, talking a little bit about the life and times in Aaron Major and some of the things that are going on um, with rugby at the moment. Look forward to putting the boots on beside you for the Littleton Golden Oldies. That'll be a good event, um, and we'll catch up again soon, mate. I appreciate your time.
1: Awesome, mate. Thank you.